everyone, this is the ninth body sode. Joining me today is Dr. Anthea Wheel. Hello, I'm back. This is the first time we have a second part for a podcast because the last paper that we took it was too long to cover in a 1 hour episode. This is the second part to cancer nano immunotherapeutics and I can't wait to start uh, discussing about some of the cool new things that have been discovered in nanomedicine with regards to immunotherapeutics. And Anthea, can you give us a brief overview of what we went through in the last uh, episode? Sure. So before we dive deeper into more of the content of just this whole world of cancer and immunotherapies using nanoparticles, I want to first recap what we discussed in last episode. So we made six points, or I'm sorry, the paper made six points about using nanomedicines uh, and allowing it to have these unique modes of action in immunotherapy. The first point is enhancing permeation. The second point is interacting with external energy. The third point is combination treatment having co-delivery mechanisms. The fourth is creating multi-ligands. The fifth is endosomal destabilization, using it as a drug cargo. And lastly, it's to control kinetics of this drug release. So if any time you're using a nanoparticle, to deliver a drug, these are modes that we would want to use or that has at least been looked at so far to use and using this as an immunotherapy towards cancer treatment. In the last episode, we discussed some of the broad mechanisms how nanomedicine can be useful uh, in combination with immunotherapeutics. Today, we're gonna discuss how nanomedicine is useful when combined with local systemic and cell-based immunotherapeutics. Anthea, can you tell us something about local therapies and how nanomedicine is useful there? Sure. So localized treatment is based on the expectation that we have immune cells, mainly T cells, that will prime uh, or will we want to prime these T cells uh, in tumor draining lymph nodes or TME. Um, and this will then lead to trafficking of lymphocytes to distal untreated tumors. So the rationale behind this is to keep the drug confined to the site of the tumor. The tumor will have some draining lymph nodes near and it's where the tumor antigen, antigens will then reach and then specifically activate anti-tumor immune cells, right? So that's the goal. So the local immunotherapy oftentimes focuses on engaging these tumor-specific immune cells and the draining lymph nodes. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so just to mention the local therapeutic, the local therapy is often given for those tumors that are either, either easily visible, like melanomas, or that don't spread as much and they are they're easy to target, like locally. For example, bladder cancers as well. Some some therapeutics that are FDA approved for the treatment are BCG, so the BCG vaccine itself. But, you know, it reminds me something of cholitoxins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that as well. <laughs> so BCG vaccine is approved for bladder cancer. And the HSV, uh, I think it's herpes simplex virus type 1 for the treatment of melanoma because these are also, melanomas are very easily visible on the skin. Yep. So these would be, these are perfect for uh, 
local therapies. Yep. And just remember, too, that the BCG vaccine, I'm sorry, not vaccination, but it is used as a vaccination. But in the case of an immunotherapeutic, it's actually a live attenuated vaccine for TB. That's right. Yeah. Some of the some of the ways that you're going to use this nanoparticles is either you want to have the therapeutic delivered to the tumor site itself, or you can have it delivered to the nearby draining lymph node so that the T-cells, let's say the T-cells there, which are already specific towards the tumor, can be engaged. Uh, just like what you said now, one of, the examples, one of the examples given here is that uh, conventional free drugs, even if given locally, they can dissolve into the interstitial fluid and disperse throughout the body, right? But the nanoparticles, they are often trapped in the collagen-rich extracellular matrix so that's also a very useful thing right because these are big so they don't diffuse as much as these small molecule inhibitors uh, that we that we typically use the word drugs for correct and just to backtrack on uh, a brief conversation we had last episode um, we also talked about um, a scientist at PNNL lab novella bridges who is using this type of gel gel matrix to create mm -hmm. a localized therapeutic um, causing radiation and things like that to actually target the uh, tumor cells. So very broad range of uh, ways to fight off these big old masses, <laughs> right? In a local <laughs> manner. Overgrown yeah. cells. And coming back to what I was talking about, in the last episode, we talked about this enhanced permeation and retention effect where we saw that these nanoparticles can stay in the blood and they only leave vasculature that is not normal, which appears to be in tumors. For local therapy, I think it's very similar to enhanced permeation effect again, as these particles are so big, they get stuck in these uh, extracellular matrices and they help in staying where you, where you inject them. One of the examples is the nanoparticle encapsulating anti-CD47 antibody suspended in fibrin gel matrix to promote retention on a tumor side. So this, allow, this allows for sustained release of these anti-CD47 antibodies that are trapped inside this nanoparticle. And as we said, these nanoparticles are stuck in the extracellular matrix. They won't be leaving anywhere else. The drug keeps uh, keeps uh, getting out of this nanoparticles in the same site. In this case, CD47, which is a do not eat me signal. Every, so just, I, I should give some background about CD47, right? A lot of cells, actually, I think most of the cells in our body, they express CD47, which keeps them from getting eaten by our macrophages. However, the tumor cells also display these, and that's one way how the macrophages are not eating them. When we block this signal through an anti-CD47 antibody, this allows the macrophages to devour these tumor cells, and in turn, these macrophages can present the tumor antigens to other T cells. So in addition to that, one way to think about it is, you know, this whole saying of, are you a friend or are you a foe, 
right? And if you're a foe, that means we need to get rid of you. You're not acting right. You're foreign or you're acting out of control and we need to get rid of you. So the CD47 transmembrane integrin is actually saying, I'm a friend. You can leave me alone. <laughs> really smart thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And now another problem arises when tumors secrete anti-inflammatory cytokines to suppress the reigning lymph node responses. That's what that's that's what normally happens, right? Because uh, the lymph nodes are always there, and the T cells are always there, but the tumors are doing something to prevent these responses. Oftentimes, regulatory T cells are also recruited to the tumor sites, and these regulatory T cells do all sorts of things to provide this shield to the tumors from the immune system. And I know that we have never discussed regulatory T cells uh, on this podcast. So it would be very important to give a brief overview. We are we are completely dependent on regulatory T cells for our survival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So regulatory T cells um, are a very big player, if not the sole player. No, I'm just <laughs> joking. It's not. It's the star player. It's the LeBron <laughs> James uh, of the defense against having autoimmune diseases as well as uh even in cancer this environments right like when you think about it it's like i feel like in cancers they're more of villains because you don't want them to be there at some times right but yeah eventually regulatory d cells they're the reason why we don't have immune responses against the gut flora that inhabit our intestines and also why we don't respond against every food item that we eat right yeah but when you also think about it too with regulatory t cells the role is to suppress inflammatory responses mm -hmm. right inflammation is a good thing too much inflammation not so much of a good thing so you need something to come in and regulate those hyper responses to shut off the signal so regulatory t cells are the suppress or formerly known as suppressor t cells will come in but when you think about it in a cancerous environment because that works perfectly to our mm -hmm. understanding with autoimmune diseases but even if you think about uh in the cancerous environment in some situations where you are expressing heightened um cytokine responses even if it's anti-inflammatory responses you still need some regulatory roles in suppressing those responses as well yeah. too so uh, regulatory t-cells well uh, they're very useful in most of the places but in this case cancers are exploiting them to exploiting to, <laughs> to help them stay keep the immune response away in this example given in the text they mention an, another strategy to deliver immunostimulatory compounds to the lymph nodes, uh, draining lymph nodes directly. These draining lymph nodes have tumor-specific T cells already, but all they need is stimulation. And nanoparticles between five to 50 nanometers that are too big to enter the blood capillaries often end up in these lymph nodes. And you can have a lot of agonists inside these, uh, inside these nanoparticles, for example, TLR agonists, or even cytokines, I believe, that will just activate the T cells. So in that case, they could somewhat overpower the effects of the regulatory T cells. At the same time, I, I will just brush through this topic. I won't say too much, but there is evidence that too much inflammation actually causes regulatory T, cell, T cells to change their phenotype. Yeah. 
when you have too much inflammation, so the regulatory T cells can become effector T cells. So that could be one way how you are promoting T cell expansion while getting rid of the regulatory part by delivering these stimulants directly to the lymph nodes. And what a better way than nanoparticles that just stay there. So Jatin, let's pose a question to our listeners. The thought just came in my head, right? When we're talking about autoimmune uh, environments versus cancerous environments. So one has more of a hyper-inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. The other has more of a hypo-inflammatory response. What do you think would happen if we take the regulatory T cells in maybe a cancerous environment of the same type of disease, let's say a skin cancer mm -hmm. versus a uh, autoimmune skin disease. We take the regulatory T cells out of a cancerous environment and put it into an autoimmune skin disease, right? So what do you think would be the interactions amongst the immune environment uh, if we actually reverse the two, right? We give one hypo-inflammatory <laughs> regulated T-cells and we give the other hyper-regulatory or hyper-inflammatory uh, regulation. I wonder how the two would mesh. And of course, let's put out the disclaimer, we're beyond the MHC uh, compatibility, we're beyond things like that. We're just thinking on an immune uh, level here. Yeah, that, that's a good question. You could have that they'll at least tell you if regulated T cells are if they are the if they are setting the rules or if they are just being governed by other factors right. around them. I have some ideas disease. myself, but we'll we'll keep that to the next regulatory T cell paper. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's you. have a regulatory T cell discussion. I'm actually very excited about that. That's what I'm writing my qualifier exams for. Yeah. So been reading a lot about them. Anyway, let's dive into the next part. We just discussed about how these nanoparticles are useful for enhancing local therapeutics. Then we should also talk about how they're useful in enhancing systemic delivery of these particles. So one big challenge with uh, systemic immunotherapeutic agents, particularly those that provide co-stimulatory signals, is that non-specific augmentation in immune responses in places where there is like maybe fine balance maintenance, like the gut, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, we need to show how the nanoparticles are useful in systemic delivery because it's not just localized. It can affect both healthy, non-healthy tissues or areas that may not even need treatment regulation. That's right. And the difference in systemic and local is in local, you know where the tumor is, you're going to inject your therapeutic right there. Uh, but in systemic, you are giving a, a, the therapeutic from some route where the particle is going to be or the therapy is going to be delivered throughout the body. And in such a case, you need to make sure there is no bystander effect. The drug only ends up or only acts where it's required it's going to end up everywhere but you don't want it to act everywhere. right and when you think about um cancer that then goes on to metastasize right or mm -hmm. move around and expand a little bit more there is an um an area we didn't necessarily talk about when we talked about the beginning introductions of cancer uh but there's also exosomes right so there's been mm -hmm. lots of studies that uh talks about exosomes holding actual 
<laughs> little vesicle packages <laughs> to actually <Yeah. laughs> promote uh, metastasis, right? So when secreting, mm -hmm. when these cancer cells uh, can then secrete these exosomes to try to expand their territory, which systemic treatment options wouldn't seem like a bad right option at this point. <laughs> yeah. When you know your your tumor cells could be anywhere, you need systemic therapeutics. And this also reminds me of a very interesting hypothesis I read a few, uh, I think last year. It's called the soil and seed hypothesis. Uh, do you know about no. this? No. It, it, it's pretty interesting. It, it says that the cancer cell actually sets, it prepares the soil where it's supposed to metastasize, the soil being the microenvironment, before it actually sends out a seed, which is going to be its cells that are metastasized. So it turns out that wherever the cell, wherever the cancer cell is going to metastasize, it already somehow prepares a niche over there before it sets out to go there. Oh wow! So it's it's, it's pretty crazy. And and just what you were talking about, uh, exosomes. Maybe exosomes could be one of those mediators yeah. that help in. Um, pre preparing this niche for this cancer cell to arrive and be comfortable. Such an intricate detection though if we are able to utilize nanomaterial to do a very microscopic surveillance in the body like even in healthy patients you know to maybe create a surveillance that well, we would have to know the markers <laughs> at this point, mm -hmm. right? And it's so many different variances, especially different uh, cancer types that we would need to know. But that would be really cool. That will be. So, Anthea, can you tell us something about the uh, how nanoparticles are useful for systemic deliveries? Yes, I can. Um, again, these particles are about 10 to 100 nanometers. Uh, in the bloodstream, they are too large to escape the blood vesicles and enter into healthy tissues. But these tumors have dysfunctional vascular so that the nanoparticles can preferentially, um, or preferably, I'm sorry, enter these and tissues. And that's the, again, enhanced permeation and retention effect that we have been bringing up in every single topic lately, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, this is, so the EPR, enhanced permeation and retention effect, is very useful for systemic deliveries to make sure they these particles only enter those places where the vasculature is disturbed. One of the examples they have mentioned in the text is this NKTR214, a recombinant human, uh, human interleukin-2 cytokine that is engineered to include on average six cleavable PEG chains. When I say PEG, it's polyethylene glycol. And they, this cytokine only becomes active when the majority of the PEG chains are hydrolyzed so you can have the cytokine again delivered inside a nanoparticle and the peg chains i assume are spontaneously cleaved very slowly with time the interesting part is interleukin 2 is a growth factor for both conventional t-cells and regulatory t-cells yeah they compete for the ability to uh utilize il2 yeah, and the funny thing is that regulatory t-cells lose the ability to make interleukin-2 while conventional t-cells still are able to make il2 so regulatory t-cells actually depend on conventional t's to make il2 for them also regulatory t-cells have a different let's say just to simplify here i'll say a different set of il2 receptors 
which are much more high affinity than what conventional T cells have. What they have done in this drug is the PEG allows sustained and slow release of the IL-2 and this IL-2 which has PEG on it, it actually has reduced affinity for the regulatory T-cell IL-2 receptor. I'm not naming receptors just to keep these things simple, but yeah. for people <laughs> who know, it's, it's, it's very simple stuff usually. <laughs> I'm just, I just want to in, introduce too many new variables. Then there's another strategy uh, being discussed for systemic delivery where we actually target myeloid cells. So myeloid cells, especially tumor-associated macrophages that are abbreviated TAMs, these tumor-associated macrophages are often accused for, of providing a proper niche to the tumor as well as turning down inflammation around the tumors. These are the perfect cells to target nanoparticles to because just by inherent nature, macrophages eat things, right? <laughs> a decoy. Yeah, they just eat everything. <laughs> they're, eat, they're eating everything. I have seen those experiments where you, pro, you give them uh, some kind of uh, metallic bead, very tiny bead, and they just eat it. They don't know what to do with it, but yeah. <laughs> they'll eat everything. And in this case, they're going to eat the nanoparticles that contain drugs. You could have drugs that either deplete uh, tumor-associated macrophages. So overall, when you deplete them, this anti-immune blanket over the tumor microenvironment will be lifted soon. Or we could use these nanoparticles to deliver innate immune stimulants like MAMPs that we talked about in the last episode or DAMPs when there are these inflammatory molecules, these stimulants inside the macrophages, they can convert from immunosuppressive to inflammatory phenotype and they can actually reverse their role and destroy or actually aid in destroying the humor, tumor. That's so interesting stuff, right? It is so interesting. And when you think about just these infectious diseases as well as in some tumor situations mm -hmm. <laughs> they actually bully the macrophages it seems like yeah. right it's like they're they're utilizing these macrophages to be a trojan horse or at least some type of decoy yeah. to camouflage itself from immune responses because it's saying hey i'm a friend and not a yeah. foe that's the same thing that occurs actually in uh leishmania so it's a parasitic infection that targets macrophages uh, and some other antigen presenting cells too uh, or even phagocytic cells that they enter into the cell mm -hmm. either a macrophage and they will camouflage their self within its machinery to then avoid immune responses to attacking that, it. that is right so yeah the <laughs> difference would be that leishmania actually enter inside the macrophages yeah, while these tumor yeah. cells are just hiding behind them while these macrophages are creating this immunosuppressive environment. <laughs> a, a very specific example given here is the use of cyclodextrin nanoparticles. These are cyclic oligosaccharides that can encapsulate some cargo. And they use these cyclodextrin nanoparticles to deliver TLR7 or 8 agonists like resicamod. Uh, Resicamod is just a synthetic agonist that looks like, I think it looks like uh, RNA. That's why it it's, uh, triggers the TLR7 yeah. and 8. And when it was delivered, it resulted in macrophages re-education and a cytotoxic T-cell dependent immune response 
with uh, with a subset of mice completely rejecting the initial tumor and even subsequent rechallenge. That is wow. nice, very nice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> then in another in other examples, um, the authors mentioned how these nanoparticles could also be used to target non-immune stromal cells. There are cancer-associated fibroblasts called calves, calves. <laughs> <laughs> and these induce hypoxia and they constrict the tumor blood vessels to limit limit immune cell surveillance. And again, I think these calves would be uh, definitely a part of the microenvironment. They are they oh, are course. helping. The dams are probably also part of the microenvironment. The hypoxia in the tumors this results in anaerobic metabolism that leads to lactate formation and while there's not much much talked about uh, l- metabolism in this paper i recently uh, was in another s- webinar for the immunometabolism and there were there were people studying how cancers react to different amino acid sources or or the deficiency of those sources so it's pretty uh, broad field there and maybe someday we should discuss that but yeah, for this purpose, the hypoxia results in anaerobic metabolism that leads to lactate formation. And this lactate is usually not very good for the immune cells. And this could be exploited by nanoparticle medicine. A polymer nanoparticle that dissolves rapidly under acidic condition can be used to deliver target drugs. So you know that there is anaerobic metabolism and there is a lot of lactate, which means there's a lower pH. We could give these pH sensitive nanoparticles that are going to um, empty their cargo only when they find this low pH, which is possibly in a tumor microenvironment. This could be also given in combination with checkpoint blockade to clear the immune response. However, of course, there are a lot of uh, fact variables here, but just the fact that you know there is something unique about the tumor microenvironment that is not present in normal tissues it gives you a a distinguishing factor yeah well that i think that was some of the ways uh, the systemic therapies are being useful and if there is some uh, one i think one uh, take-home message about these nanoparticles that everybody is should remember it's these it's this enhanced permeation and retention effect that we have brought up so many times and with that i think we are ready for the next one which is cellular immunotherapy the cool stuff the cool stuff (laughs) so when you think about cellular uh immunotherapies this brings uh up something called adoptive cell transfer or act Mm -hmm. or act uh, in this technique, immune cells from a donor are taken and reintroduced into the recipient. So since there is a lot of tissue with rejection of these cells, the safest way for adoptive transfers is to um, is either uh, syngenic or... Uh, Autologous, is it? Yeah, actually, syngenic would be from a twin donor to a twin recipient, right? Yeah, but that's, right. that's very rare. How many people have twins? <laughs> so I guess the most feasible one would be autologous, where you have your patient's own cells taken, re-engineered, and put back in this in the body. Yep, there are um, engineered TILs or tumor infiltrating cells, where you take T cells from the patient and taken and take these cells 
put into a culture condition and you re-engineer it to express specific TCR uh, specific towards antigen receptors, right? So I'm sorry, <laughs> let me let me explain that again. So when you think about it, you can actually take out a person's T cells, re-engineer it to add in specific T cell antigens or antigens uh, of your choice, which could be these cancerous cells. Um, and then you can grow millions of them on a uh, micro environment and then replace them back into the patient to kill these cancerous cells. These cells are actually called CAR T cells. The interesting thing about these CAR T cells is that they have a very unique kind of receptor. The extracellular domain is derived from a B cell receptor that directly recognizes the antigen, while the intracellular domain is similar to that of a T cell receptor. Anthea, can you give us an example of an approved CAR-T therapy? Is there any? There are a few, uh, actually, not too many, but so one in which is um, a CAR-T cell approved treatment for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, right? And also refractory large B-cell lymphoma. Yeah, that's... CD19 is a common target when the tumor cells are actually B cells. So CD19 is a co-receptors presented usually throughout the fa all the phases of uh, B cell maturation. But when you think about these CAR T cells, they're working well for liquid tumors. B cell, or I'm sorry, cells that float around in the blood, which primarily are uh, B cell specific um, targets. Yeah, T cells and yeah. However, they are not as successful for solid tumors like common epithelial cancers. But how are nanoparticles useful in CAR-T therapy? Nanoparticles can be useful in CAR-T cell therapy, uh, one in which is cytokine released. Would you like to talk more about how? Yeah, yeah. So these polymer nanoparticles, they're loaded with activating cytokines that can be linked to the engineered CAR-T cells. And these nanoparticles can then slowly release their cargo on release under particular conditions. So this goes very well with the systemic delivery approach that we, we just talked about. The CAR T cells are going to be circulating around the body. However, the nanoparticles, they will accumulate in the tumor. And since they have the activating cytokines, whenever the CAR T cells come around the tumor or nearby, they're going to get these activating cytokines from the, from the nanoparticle and they get activated on site. Then there is another one where we use dendritic cells. The nanoparticles can carry the tumor peptides towards the dendritic cells in the nearby lymph node where the dendritic cells can provide co-stimulation as well as direct peptide to the CAR T cells for activation or even reactivation. So when you think about activation too, these nanoparticles can also carry immunogenic antigens uh, like the PAMPs we talked about or the DAMPs for activation of these myeloid cells in the lymph nodes. Yeah. So these are very repeating themes, right? Yeah. Where, but they have so many different uh, roles and they're useful in different ways, even though the, the stuff is the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's like It's like... You know, making a tortilla, you can make it in so many ways, but the base thing is you need wheat flour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And in the end, you can also use these nanoparticles for gene delivery. And this is actually very interesting stuff. This is some futuristic thing that you can do with these. Right now, CAR T cells, the only way chimeric antigen receptor T cells are made is you need to isolate them from the patient, re-engineer them in the lab and put them back in. The whole process takes a lot of money. That's a lot why of money. That's why this therapy costs about hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's not, I, I don't think my insurance is covering that. Or no. <laughs> or both of our combined. <laughs> no. Yeah. So in, 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 with nanoparticles, what we can do is we can have genes, trans, trans genes delivered directly to the T cells that express the right proteins on their surface. And because we can in vivo induce CAR T cells that is right inside the body. That would save so much money. So and much time. You could also use viruses for this. The problem is viruses, they can only carry limited payload of genes. Then viruses are themselves immunogenic. And viruses require large scale GMP production facilities. GMP is good manufacturing practices. And these are very costly facilities uh, for production of viruses. However, for nanoparticles, these are super simple to make. I bet if any undergraduate students are listening to this podcast, they could open any protocol paper where nanoparticle synthesis is shown and they could definitely make that in the lab they're working in right now because you don't need very fancy stuff to make nanoparticles. <laughs> Even though they have they, they have very good purpose, but they don't cost a lot to make. Right. And when you think about the wave that we're moving into modern medicine, we're going into a phase where we're trying to actually do more personalized medicine. So to actually utilize these nanoparticles for your own CAR T cells is a way of personalized medicine. That is. Also, you know, right? Viruses, there is a stigma around viruses. After what happened with the gene therapy trial, <laughs> um, the failed gene therapy trial in the early 2000s, viruses, they'll always be not trust, trusted by the community. Or, and yeah. Not, but yeah. nanoparticles, well, I think, I think they'll have better acceptance in the society. I think if there is a way you can use synthetic chemicals to send a transgene compared to viruses, it's always going to be preferable. Yeah. But yeah, this is not always, I mean, nanoparticles are good and everything as we talked about in this paper, but it's not, they're not God sent angels. They're, they have limitations. They and do have limitations. One, one of the issues is nanoparticles are larger than small drugs. And this is going to, I'm going back to one of the advantages that we showed, which is also its disadvantages. We showed that tumor associated macrophages being macrophages, they eat nanoparticles, right? Well, that's the problem. They eat nanoparticles. <laughs> <laughs> so you could be giving it the nanoparticle for whatever purpose and myeloid cells, they can readily ingest these nanoparticles just because they're bigger in size. And they could, even when it's not uh, inter, when you're not expecting them to, that's an issue. Another problem with gene delivery, so we just said that they are great for transfection, much better than viruses because of safety and stuff. Well, that's there's a problem. Viruses are natural parasites. They are built to get inside the cells and get their DNA replicating. But nanoparticles, they're not, well, they're not as good as viruses. So the transfection efficiency is very low when you compare it to viruses. 
So you would have to give a lot of nanoparticles to get a few cells um, transfected. Yeah, but you know when we talked about earlier, if you add that with um, other co-therapies, mm-hmm. you know it could still definitely be a very useful tool to uh, mitigate just this enlargement of any tumor or cancerous cells. Yeah, that, so it's complementary. That is, that is true. Overall, I think that is the broad theme that this paper discussed. But before we end it, I would like to briefly summarize some of the themes so that our audience can take back home and actually discuss with some of their friends because I know I I would definitely like to discuss uh, things like these with few enthusiastic friends that I've got that actually <laughs> give a damn about, <laughs> about science. <laughs> but yeah, if anybody out there, let me just repeat a few things. And Anthea, if you want to add, feel free to do it. Some of the, the first thing that you should remember about these particles is the enhanced permeation and retention effect. That's how they reach tumor sites specifically. Then they can also get stuck in the, uh, the extracellular matrix, better for local deliveries. You can deliver, you can deliver immune stimulants, you can deliver tumor peptides, or you can just deliver chemotherapeutics to directly kill the tumors. With that, you can you can target these nanoparticles to either immune cells like T cells. When I say that, I mean lymphocytes. You can target them to myeloid cells, or you can target them directly to uh, the tumors. Also, to the tumor microenvironment. And these are some of the recurring themes we have seen in this paper. Uh, if I have missed anything, Anthea? No, I think that's a really good cap of everything. I think one of the most important take-homes is that we're modern medicine is moving into an area where we need interdisciplinary uh, information, right? So we have immunology, we also have biomedical engineering, we also have cancer, right? Experts, genetics, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even too. So uh, chemistry, surface chemistry. Uh, But I, I think just that if there's one thing to take home outside of the content of the paper, is that interdisciplinary sciences uh, is a much needed conversation that needs to be had to create unique, awesome, wonderful things like CAR T-cell nanoparticle Mm -hmm. engineered immunotherapies for cancer. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. That is true. You need, you need, I feel there should be a very good uh, scientific community that where these things thrive, where you have great discussions going on you got people who are genuinely enthusiastic about science and only then you can have these true innovations come up. I agree. That, I think that'll be a, that's a great way to end this episode. Uh, thanks a lot, Anthea, for joining me. This was a great conversation. It was the first uh, cancer immunology paper that we have discussed. And to everybody uh, listening to this, thanks guys for being here. We'll see you in the next episode. Do make sure to do make sure to check out the Facebook page, and very soon we're going to start uh, bringing in uh, guests for our our discussions. Cool. I look forward to it. See you guys. Bye bye. Bye.